Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is taken from the uh, book of Isaiah chapter 58 connecting it with the Heidelberg Catechism reading on the fourth commandment later on on the Sabbath. So let's hear God's word from Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Uh, comedian Tim Hawkins has a good bit on deciding to go to Chick-fil-A and getting there and realizing it's closed. Oh, that's right, it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. Right? It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad because you're acting like the guy that Isaiah 58 rebukes. You wanted Chick-fil-A, so you went to get it. But it's the Lord's Day. It isn't a day to just do whatever you want. It's a day to honor God, not to make money or do whatever it is that you want. It's like the tithe. We give God not only our time on the Sabbath, but our money in the tithe. We give God our first tenth. We don't save it. We don't invest it. We give it away to God to have. And the first day of the week is the same. We don't use the time for ourselves. We use it to be with God. But let's be honest, uh, and this is the convicting point this morning. Functionally, we often give God the first quarter of his day at church, but the rest of it we use to catch up on chores. We do life maintenance. We're not really thinking of God. We don't give him the time we should be giving him. They say that the average American Christian gives about 2.5% of their income to church. And we're giving about 2.5% of our waking hours to church as well. But the main thing isn't quantity of time. It's resting in Christ for salvation. The Heidelberg Catechism will point that out in a moment. We have a day to lay down our burdens and to truly, completely rest in the Lord. Are we doing that? That's the question for us today. So let us confess our sins to the Lord. As I said in the email, this is one of the pivotal chapters in the New Testament, Acts 15, where we see the Jerusalem Council. Last week we finished up with Paul and Barnabas returning to Antioch, reporting back to the church there, staying there for some time, teaching and preaching. And now we have a new episode here in Acts 15. Hear God's infallible word. I'm going to read through uh, verse 35. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. 
the grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. A fascinating account here of this Jerusalem council. The theme I'm going with today that you'll see in the bulletin is that we need to go to the word for direction and not add extra requirements to God's. Uh, that's uh, that's the, the main point I'll try to be making today. Uh, the summary of the text, and this is something that I try to do every week, I try to summarize what the text is actually saying first when I'm studying. And then, if that needs some translation, sometimes, sometimes I say in a sermon, applying something slightly different, but of course directly connected to what the text is saying. The text here is summarizing what's being said is that the church is clearing up a controversy. And they're doing that by consulting the apostles. Right? They free the Gentiles from the ritual law, and yet they also ask them uh, to be sensitive to their fellow Jews as far as what they eat. And so we'll consider that. Um, some Christians thought that the Gentiles should follow the whole law of Moses. Uh, but Antioch and Paul's mission had not done so, nor had the Jerusalem church assumed this requirement. So that is the question uh, at play here. Some men come down from Judea, and they say, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. And, and I like the way verse 2 puts it. I, I can just imagine Paul's response to that. Right? No small dissension and debate. <laughs> that, that, I mean... Paul really goes at that, like, no way, I am not buying that. And he writes a whole letter, uh, Galatians, about this as well. So uh, you see here we have this issue. Uh, so they're sent to, uh, to Judea uh, to have the apostle, uh, apostles and elders consider this. Notice in verse 5, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Now, these are all Christians, so this may strike you as odd or even shock you pharisee christians was that a thing and the answer was yes we are uh pharisee is a word that has come to mean a certain thing when, when we say it and it's not historically accurate uh pharisee uh one could be a pharisee and a christian Again, that messes with our categories a bit. They weren't all reprobates. They weren't all legalists. We just take Pharisee and legalist as, as the same thing. Not necessarily. They were the party that believed that they would bring in the kingdom of God by their obedience to God's word. That's what they believed. Much like us, really. We, we tend to think in those same kind of categories. We need to be obeying God. Uh, now, many of them did make up the circumcision party, the Judaizers, and the men from James. James says in verse 24 that he gave no instruction about this requirement. So, so James wasn't propagating this teaching, but many of his party were on the Pharisee side. So they didn't have the authority of James to make this assertion, but they were doing so. So they have to be circumcised. That's verse 1 of our text. Now that's shorthand. Circumcision, I think, is really shorthand for putting yourself under the yoke of Moses, uh, the ceremonial law. You're committing to keep the feasts in Jerusalem, to eat clean food, and so on. You, you do all those things if you get circumcised. 
So, uh, uh, not requiring circumcision exempted the new Gentile believers from the whole ceremonial law. And that was their intent. And really, if you look ahead to Paul's writings, Colossians 2 especially, he basically says, look, baptism replaces this. Baptism is better than circumcision as a covenant sign. It's more inclusive. Women are baptized, not just the men. It's more descriptive. Washing conveys salvation better. It's more pleasant. <laughs> Cleansing instead of cutting. Right? It's a better sign. And so, no, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. Jesus gives us a new and a better sign in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples and baptize them. Not circumcise them, baptize them. And the apostles are catching on to this and applying that basic principle here in this as the church grows and as Gentiles come into the church. Uh, just to, to quote a bit of John Stott, he's a good commentator on this. Uh, here's how he puts it. Is the sinner saved by the sheer grace of God in Christ crucified when he believes? Has Christ done everything necessary for salvation in his death and resurrection? Or are we saved and justified partly by faith and partly by works? Those are questions lurking in the background of this dispute. Now the Jews already had Gentile God-fearers who didn't get circumcised. They would go to the synagogue, they believed in Israel's God, but they weren't circumcised. But, but they faithfully and in their heart worshipped the true God. They worshipped at synagogue, but they could not partake of the feasts or of the temple. They were the ones who were called the far off. That's how the Jews described them. They were kept in the Gentile court in the temple, behind the dividing wall. You couldn't come any further if you weren't circumcised. That was how things went. But Paul writes to the Gentile Christians in Ephesians 2 that in Christ, you who once were far off have now been brought near. The dividing wall is down. That's what's going on here in Acts 15. And, and that's why at the end of the chapter, the Gentile Christians in Antioch rejoice and are encouraged. So you have all that as... as um, background here. Notice the mission, verses 2 to 4. Uh, this uh, requirement uh, that is uh, asserted in verse 1, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. In other words, you need to be circumcised. That requirement is, is not from the apostles. But there was some question about that. Maybe the apostles do think that. What, which way do we go? So the mission is, let's send a team from Antioch to Jerusalem Gather the apostles and, figure, and have them render a judgment on this. Help us figure this out. Are we really following Jesus as he wants us to do? And every now and then, in, in your own lives, we have that question, don't we? Every now and then, something comes up and we wonder, am I doing the right thing here? What do you do in those moments? Acts 15 gives us an answer. Uh, we'll look at that in our application time at the end. But what they say here is, well, you know what? We'd better check with the apostles. That's the mission. So the Antioch church sends them. And the question is, does God require Gentiles to be circumcised to be saved? 
and that's for us at least, and I think for most of the church back then even too, that was an easy no. The harder question could be, does God want Gentiles to be circumcised once they are saved? Not as a requirement to be saved, but like you should go to church. And going to church doesn't save you, but it's something that Christians do, right? Is circumcision something that Christians do? That's the secondary question that is more important. The mission to the Jerusalem is to settle these questions. So you have the council begin in verse 6. They gather together, the apostles and the elders. And notice verse 7, after there had been much debate. So what we have here in this chapter isn't all that was said. It's just the conclusions, really. It's interesting that there's more that's said. Uh, Peter begins, verse 7, and he basically says, look, you're going the opposite direction of God if you go that way. (laughs) God sent us to the Gentiles. He gave them the same spirit we have. He purified them the same way he purified us. We're saved the same way. And the, the phrase us and them shows up several times. It's like there's, there's those Gentiles and there's us Jews. And, and much of the book of Acts, the, much of Paul's letters, is all about putting Jew and Gentile together and remembering that we're, we're one uh, and, and that God has treated us the same way. So that's what Peter's doing, verse 11 especially. Uh, We believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Great uh, statement of salvation by grace alone there. Peter preaches justification by grace through faith just as strongly as Paul ever does. Sometimes that's uh, overlooked or forgotten. So Peter preaches that. And then uh, also notice verse 12, the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done. So, again, they're emphasizing here the miracles that confirmed their ministry. And the whole assembly falls silent and listens to that. that that's, that's key. It's like Paul and Barnabas' ministry has been confirmed, authenticated, uh, by God himself in the miracles that were done. And then James, verse 13, replies. He calls Peter Simeon, which is the the more Jewish name. James is uh, more of the uh, Jewish um, way of thinking. But James, uh, this is the brother of Jesus who didn't believe until after the resurrection, which is interesting. Peter uh, singles him out after his release from jail. He says, go tell the brothers and go tell James what's happened. He's become a leader in the church. Uh, History tells us that in 61 AD, he was stoned by the Sanhedrin for law-breaking. And probably that means for taking the position that he takes here. So James, as he leads the church uh, into this uh, spirit-led decision, uh, is martyred for doing so later on. So verse 14, what James says is basically, look, this was God's plan all along. (laughs) We seem to be stymied by what God has done sometimes. But God always meant to make a people for himself out of the Gentiles. That's what he did with Abraham, creating the nation of Israel. And now that's what he's doing with us, to take from them a people for his name. It's fascinating. It's Old Testament language for what God did with Israel. 
And James takes Israel, excuse me, God takes Israel as a nation to himself out of the nations. And James speaks of the church just like the Old Testament spoke of Israel. This, this, this is God's one plan all along, to take for himself a people. It's like what we sang in Psalm 45. God takes a bride for his son, puts, puts the bride next to his son, uh, and th that's what God is doing with these Gentiles. So that's what James says. And then he quotes scripture to prove it. Amos 9. Amos 9, uh, one of the minor prophets, uh, says that when God rebuilds the fallen house of David, he's going to bring the Gentiles in. Now the Jews uh, thought of this uh, text and this event, uh, the rebuilding of the t uh, tabernacle of David. They often thought of that as fulfilled when Solomon's temple was rebuilt in Nehemiah's time. Ah, scripture's being fulfilled. The temple's been rebuilt. But you know what? The Gentiles didn't come in. <laughs> that, that rebuild, that was a pointer to the real fulfillment in the temple of Christ's body, resurrected and glorified. And the same we see in Hebrews, that, that Joshua, he conquered the land, but he didn't give Israel complete spiritual rest. Right? We've been thinking about Sabbath today. There remains a rest for God's people, Hebrews says. And that, that's a pointer to our real rest in Jesus. And if you want to go back even, even earlier, this was God's plan all along in calling Abraham. Not only to bless Abraham's descendants, but that Abraham's seed, capital S, Jesus, would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And that's what's happening. Jesus is being a blessing to these Gentile Antioch Christians. So, verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, they are not bound to obey all the ritual law. Now, this is where it's going to get a little dicey. Hang with me. Try to understand what I'm saying. You might disagree. But there's something important to consider here. In Christ, you have been circumcised, basically, is what he says. But now see verse 20. We should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. And then verse 21, he basically separates that position from Moses. The Jews have Moses. We're not going to follow Moses. Right? In other words, we're not going to keep to every last Levitical kosher law. But we do want to at least do these things. Okay? Now, the question is, is this law or is this a request to be sensitive to the Jews. It, it's, we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture here. And this is why we read from 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says there that the Corinthians could eat whatever they wanted, whatever was sold in the marketplace, regardless if it was offered to idols. Everything is of, is of God. But if somebody comes along and is upset by that, then don't, then don't do it to be sensitive to them. That's what is said. And often that would be a Jew. That would be a Jew who would point out the idolatry. And then you might abstain for the sake of their conscience. That's exactly what James, I think, and the church are saying here in verse 20. The requirement here in this verse is a request that Gentiles be sensitive to the Old Testament customs of their Jewish brothers in Christ. Don't bring your blood pudding to the congregational meal for the Jews to eat. In other words, 
refrain from things strangled, etc. Right? If James is giving a new moral commandment that's always binding on all Gentile Christians, then it contradicts 1 Corinthians 10. It contradicts what Paul says. Because Paul says you can eat anything even if it's sacrificed to idols. Is James saying the opposite here? I don't think that can be. We need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So that's why my conclusion is uh, that uh, new Gentile Christians, uh, yes, they needed to reject their immoral background of sexual immorality and idolatry, and they had to be sensitive to their fellow Jewish believers about bloody or sacrificed meat. That's what James is saying. Now you see the distinction here starting between the moral law, like the Ten Commandments, uh, that are binding on all men everywhere, and the ritual law that was for Israel for a time. They're sorting that out. Okay, ritual law, like circumcision. We don't have to do that anymore. That's their firm judgment. Okay, number two, eating food sacrificed to idols. Okay, that's fine, but don't for the sake of Jews around you or, or Jewish Christians who have that background and that, that it really bothers them. Well, then don't. Three, sexual immorality. Rampant in the Gentile world. The moral law still abides and binds. So you have kind of three categories there. On that last one, by the way, just as an aside, I thought of this just this morning. Sexual immorality was rampant in the Gentile world back then. You you think it's bad today, and it is. In some ways, it was even worse back then. I remember I thought of this this morning. I was in Ephesus walking down the main drag, the main street, and there's a a sign, a a public graphic depictual sign for a brothel right on the main road. We don't do that. (laughs) We haven't deteriorated that quite that far. We have, you know, seedy places of town around the internet. They just put it right on the main street. Anyway, so the early church here is uh, rejecting that, refrain from sexual immorality. But it's interesting how those things are all put together. They're sorting out these categories. Don't need to do circumcision. Uh, Food sacrifice to idols, go ahead, but not if it's bothering somebody. And refrain from uh, sexual immorality from other uh, sins of the moral law. So that's what the the council puts together. They have this letter, verses 22 to 29, you see. They want to send men back to Antioch uh, from them with Paul and Barnabas to confirm the message. And so you see uh, their names, verse 22 at the end. They send Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. These guys are interesting. Barsabbas is uh, probably, we're not sure, might be the same guy from chapter 1 of Acts who almost became the 12th apostle. Remember they cast lots between the two? Well, this, this guy's name was the one who wasn't chosen. <laughs> so that, that's intriguing. Uh, and Silas is Paul's future traveling companion. His Latin name is Silvanus. And in First and Second Thessalonians, you'll see they're written by Paul and Silvanus. That's Silas. Paul and Silas write the letters of Thessalonians together. So, uh, these guys are from Judea, from the Jerusalem church. They're going to go to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to uh, to deliver this letter, to confirm it, and and to teach as well. So, they send this letter. Now, you you see the letter quoted beginning in verse 23. 
the brothers, apostles and elders, to the brothers. So that's interesting. So we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where we get this language. That we are your brothers, and we're writing to you, brothers. And that's significant. They consider these Gentile Antioch Christians their fellow believers. And they say that before they say anything else. You are our brothers in Christ. We've never met you. You're of a different race than we are. Your whole background and customs are all foreign to us. But we are brothers in Christ. Very important to assert, to affirm. Then they critique the the Judeans, those of the circumcision party, in verses 24 to 26. They're troubling you. They weren't sent from us. Uh, Now we're sending you Paul and Barnabas who have risked their lives, right? In other words, don't listen to the circumcision party. Listen to Paul and Barnabas. They've got our message. Uh, A firm decision made here. They send uh, Judas and Silas. They mention that in verse 27. They themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Uh, and this is, this is an important practical thing to remember. In the face of disagreement, uh, it's best uh, to do it face to face, even though that's usually the hardest and the most awkward. <laughs> it's important when you're disagreeing with somebody, do that face to face. So they send Judas and Silas to the Antioch church, uh, and in some cases, to face these men of the circumcision party. And they've got the letter, and they've got the memory of the apostles who have said this. So these other guys are saying, you've got to do more? No. This, this is the decision. That's the, the mission going back to Antioch. Seem best to us and to the Holy Spirit, verse 28. This is the ideal situation in disagreement, in conflict. Believers coming uh, to church leaders with a problem or a question, and the leaders coming to a spirit-led decision that is accepted by everyone. (laughs) That's what you want. Doesn't always happen, but that's what you want. And the result we see in the rest of the text, verse 30 to 35. Antioch is obviously relieved. Uh, They rejoice because of its encouragement. Uh, Judas and Silas uh, teach and preach as well. Silas likes what he sees in Antioch, um, and the teaching and preaching continue. So uh, that's uh, a run through the text. Let's apply that a a bit now uh, today. Uh, I got four or five things, and then we're done. The first is bring your problems to the Word. Bring your problems to the Word. Uh, Maybe you've had it happen to you. A friend or a church member comes to you and says, Hey, God wants you to do X, and I don't see you doing X, whatever it is. And you're not sure if that's right. So what do you do? Well, here in Acts, they have the apostles alive (laughs) to go and ask, right? For us, we now have the apostles' words that they wrote in the Bible. Go to the Word. Be careful about people telling you you have to do X, Y, and Z if you're going to be a real Christian, a really sold-out Christian, whatever it is. Are they right? The Bible tells you if they're right, not their um, intimidating or manipulating words. If you're going to be a real Christian, right? Well, the Bible tells you if, if you're being a real Christian, right? So know the word so that you don't get confused or misled. 
Uh, that way, when you hear teaching that the Bible requires something, you can be sure that it does or it doesn't, because you know your Bible. Know the Word. If you think we should be keeping the law of Moses, uh, you should do a long, hard study of Acts 15. We're sometimes told by our Messianic Jewish brothers that we must keep the feasts to truly participate in the life of God's people. This is not true. Uh, the earthly temple with its feasts was just a copy of a pointer to the heavenly reality. Sometimes it's the same for theonomy, too, by the way. There's a version of theonomy that reads too much into the civic code and calls for exact obedience to specific laws that were only for Israel for a time. Now, we, I think we should follow the moral law carefully and the general principles of the civic and the ceremonial law as well. Uh, which is why we worship the way we do. But we need to sort that all out. Bring your problems to the Word. It will tell you what you have to know. Uh, we've got the Bible reading challenges. This began just a, a week or so ago. I got a few of these brochures back by the bulletins. So grab one of those if, if you are looking for a way to uh, get into the Word. It's actually called To the Word. So that's one way to do that. That's the first thing. Uh, bring your problems to the Word. Number two, bring your problems to others. Uh, maybe you're stuck with some problem and it isn't even occurring to you to ask for help. Right? The, the Antioch church goes to Judea. They go to other believers asking for wisdom. Uh, so present your problem to your parents, maybe, or to a mentor, or to church elders. And we think, ah, oh, they couldn't do anything. They, what are they going to do? Well, how do you know unless you ask? Right? And often it isn't about fixing the problem, right? I, I can tell you that the percentage is pretty small over the years of, of people who have come to me with problems that I've actually 100% fixed. <laughs> it's, it's not about fixing the problem, it's about getting insight into understanding what's happening here, what God is maybe doing, and what God's word might be saying. That's what you're looking for. We always have excuses for this. Uh, my, my friends are too busy, or, or the elders are too busy. No, it's our calling. As fellow Christians with one another, whether it's a, a pastor or a friend, either way, it's their calling to help you if you have an issue that they can help with. It, it would be like school starting again soon, right? It would be like giving a student their math assignment, but then you decide to give them one problem instead of 20 because they're too busy with their other schoolwork. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense. They're called to do math. That's their calling right now, right? It's the same with, with your uh, elders, with your friends. It's their calling to minister the word of God to you in your problem. So go and ask. The other one is always, the excuse is always, I don't have time. Oh, they don't have time. I don't have time. Look at verse 12 again and see what that says. Um, oops, turn back a page. Acts 15, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Saul as they related what signs and wonders God had done. We need to take time to hear each other out, not just assume we have all the wisdom that we need. That's what the council did here. Uh, we, we tend to think about the church councils. That we, we teach church history this way. What did this church council say? What did that church council say? And it's important to, to know the key decisions that were made, what they decided. But notice, remember, 
that behind every decision that's made, there's 10 times as much time given to listening and deliberating and, and hearing each other. <laughs> We're going to do this again at um, Presbytery uh, in, in, in Moscow this year. Uh, and what we have, every year this happens, uh, there's always a little bit of exasperation as, as the PM, I've been the PM once or twice before, he, he puts the agenda together. And, and in our custom, the first thing on the agenda is always to hear church reports. So every pastor will stand up for three to five minutes and say, well, we had this happen this year, you know, and just list a few significant things that have happened in our congregation. And the, and the PMs always get a little bit exasperated because that takes so long. And it goes on and on. And now there's only so much time left to actually deal with the business and the agenda. And, I, and I've always got to I try, at least, to remind uh, those who are putting the agenda together, let that be. We need to hear from each other. That's critical to, to doing business well later, is to know what's going on. Uh, anyway, I'm going a bit on here. Job had a great line about this. If we're not willing to do this, if all, we're, if all we want to do is talk to people and not, you know, give them our opinions and not hear from others what their wisdom is, then, then you need to hear Job's uh, great sarcastic line. He got exasperated with his friends at one point, right? They were accusing him. They were lecturing him. And at one point, I forget which chapter it is, he just says, doubtless you are the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> Talk about some godly sarcasm. Uh, don't be like that. Seek to hear wisdom from others. So bring your problems to the word. Bring your problems to others. Uh, third, maintain broad fellowship with others. Uh, I'll be brief on this one. Here you've got the council at Jerusalem treating these Gentiles as fellow believers. And that was just shocking back then. But that's what we need to do. If you can't fellowship with another believer over some issue, then you've made that a salvation issue. Are, are you sure you need to do that that's, that's a that's a heavy thing that we take way too lightly and we just cut ourselves off from other christians very quickly many disagreements make it harder to have fellowship that we need to be honest about that some mean you might not stay in a certain local congregation but we should be able to recognize other believers as believers as long as they aren't living in sin and saying it isn't sin <laughs> that that's that's a, a, a key dividing line. So uh, maintain broad fellowship with other believers. Uh, fourth, uh, self-identity. How do you see yourself? Uh, the Judaizers, uh, the, those of the circumcision party, back in verse 1 of our text, they saw themselves as Jews first. And Jesus was part of that. And that's what they had wrong. It's all backwards. Jesus redefined and fulfilled Moses. Greater than Moses. One greater than Moses. One greater than Solomon is here, he said. And some of these guys weren't getting that. Moses was still it for them. You are a follower of Jesus first. And whatever is in your past must either be rejected as sin and error... Or if it's good, it needs to take a back seat to the Lordship of Jesus. His first priority is to hallow God's name. And next, he wants his kingdom to come to earth. He wants God's will to be done. 
He wants his people provided with bread, forgiven of their sins, and kept from temptation. Is that your agenda? We sing it every week. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus before you are an engineer, a software developer, a husband or a mother, before you're a homeschooler, before you're a parent? All sorts of good things vie for first place. Do you place more trust these days in Trump or DeSantis than you do in Jesus for our country? Do you hang more on the words of Doug Wilson or Jim Jordan or Tucker Carlson more than on the eternal word of God? Whose are you? Are you of Paul or of Apollos? Are you of the Second Amendment? I would submit the only party that you may be of is Jesus Christ. You can be for lots of other things. I'm not rejecting a lot of those good things I just listed. And many may flow directly from being of Jesus. But we are only of Jesus. So, that's your identity. That's number four. And last, no extra boundaries. This goes back to the legalism point. Um, one form of legalism is earning your salvation by works. Another is adding laws where God has not added laws. And the Pharisee party here was doing that. We love to do this. Most Christians love to do this. And we need to note that tendency in ourselves. We, have to, we like to find ways to reckon that I'm in and you're out. <laughs> or at least that, that I'm favored by God because of what I'm doing. And we have to watch out for that. It can happen very easily, especially as we try to obey God specifically. Right? We should try to obey God specifically. But we have to watch out for that tendency to, to infer then from that, because I'm doing this, I'm better, or I'm for real, or God loves me more, whatever it is. An example. We figure out that to worship God well on Sunday morning, to get to church on time, <laughs> I've got to do certain things on Saturday night. And whatever that is, maybe I've got to, whatever it is that slows you down on Sunday morning, maybe it's picking out the clothes for the kids, whatever it is. So you realize, oh, if I just did this the night before, then I'll get to church and it'll go better on Sunday morning. And that's good. And you get that pattern. And you start, then you start to assume that that's necessary for obedience. And you think, to honor the Sabbath, if I don't have my clothes picked out Saturday night, I have sinned. No, you haven't right? It's not necessary. Now, that doesn't mean we should only do the bare minimum. That's not the thing either, right? It means we always have to remember the why in all of our actions. Why am I doing this again? You don't have to homeschool to be a true Christian. There's other ways to educate your children in the Lord. We're not a homeschool church. We're friendly to it, but it doesn't define our fellowship, right? We want no extra boundaries because we want the Lord Jesus to be supreme in our church and in our lives. Jesus alone is our common ground, our only Savior. Now, of course, I understand there's going to be different ways that different churches think and worship and so on, and, and so there will be certain key themes that are subordinate to that, right? We worship a certain way. That's why many of us come here. That's okay. 
as long as we know the why for that, why Jesus calls for that. So go to the word for direction. Let's not add extra requirements to God's. Let's keep Jesus primary in our priorities. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving us this word uh, that you call us to go to. Thank you for your uh, wisdom that you have revealed, for your compassion that you have given to us and your righteousness in Jesus. Lord, he obeyed your law fully, completely, in a way that we never possibly could. And you have taken that righteousness and placed it upon us. And you have given to us, Lord, the same kind of favor that you give to your Son. Lord, we stand in awe of your grace. We pray, Lord, that we would not abuse your grace in our selfish living. Keep us mindful of your holiness and your compassion. Forgive us where we have strayed and call us back by your spirit to your ways. We thank you for giving us wisdom and righteousness and holiness in your son. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God gave Noah a sign after the flood, a rainbow, promising not to flood the earth again. What's interesting about this is that God gives it to Noah so that Noah knows that God will remember his promise. Right? It's a, it's a covenant sign. It's a similar dynamic to what we have going on here at this table. What's happening here at this table is not first that we are remembering God's promises. Jesus does tell us to remember him as we do this, but it isn't our remembering that saves us. It's God remembering us that saves us. We want God to remember Christ and by doing so, save us. So when God promises to save us, he doesn't want us focused on how well or poorly we believe it. He wants us thinking that he remembers us. God remembers you today. He knows you completely. And he still has mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ. So come, for all things are now ready. We welcome you to the table.
the Lord's table, all those who are baptized and are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So come with your children and welcome to the Lord Jesus. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have uh, remembered us, that you have set your bow in the clouds. And while the world may seek to pervert your signs, your grace is still enduring and everlasting to your people. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that you have given us not only a bow in the clouds, but you have rained down bread from heaven upon us uh, to Israel in the desert for 40 years. Uh, But even that was just a pointer to your true heavenly bread, your son, Jesus. Thank you for sustaining us in his life, uh, for incorporating us into his life, into his body. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, brought about this union, a life-saving union. And as we take up this bread, we pray that we would remember this, remember your mercy and your greatness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.